Hello, I'm John, the executive producer here at Final Show Films. I got a few notes for you before the show. First, I want to thank you all for watching. We couldn't do what we do or the amount of things that we do without the support of you, the viewer. If you want to support us financially, which we always appreciate, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com fsfilms, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us continue this and all the things that we do. I want to give a special shout out to our $25 supporters, Antitonic, Cat Waterflame, and Samantha Bates. Uh, second, I want to let you all know that we here at Final Show Films are planning a little get together up at Gen Con this year. That's August 2nd through 5th up at Indianapolis. We're going to be up there sort of hanging out, enjoying the con, spending time together. And if any of you guys want to come up and say hi, please feel free. We don't bite unless you want us to. And if you enjoy whatever it is you're about to watch or listen to, be sure to check out our website at finalshowfilms.com where you can find links to all of our other content, both podcast and video. And be sure to follow me at John A. Bates on Twitter for more updates on all of the content we're creating in the future. In the meantime, thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 31, uh, where we are going to be talking about Critical Role, episode 31, Gunpowder Plot, part one. I'm John, at John A. Bates on Twitter, and the executive producer here at Final Show Films. With me today is Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy. I'm at Thomas 411 mania on Twitter. And this episode of Critical Role stars Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel, Don Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Travis William as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Previously on Critical Role. What's the episode called? I said that at the top already. Gunpowder Plot Part 1. He totally did. He totally did. I, I, I was li- Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was actively listening for it and missed it. <laughs> I have done that many a time. I blame our recording program. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you, Craig. (laughs) Or Discord, but one of the two. (laughs) I heard episode 31, and then it went right through. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 31 of Critical Role, Gunpowder Plot, Part 1. That way there is no ambiguity. Um... As we continue into our uh, arc of the Briarwoods and Whitestone. Last time on Critical Role, Scanlan turned into a Triceratops. That's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Also, I am echoing in somebody, something fierce. I'm not sure who. Um, Let me turn down some shit. And we'll might see be Jack. Happens. Probably Jack. Probably me. It's always Jack. It's always, Actually, no. it's always Aaron, but Aaron's not here to blame. So, it... <laughs> <laughs> hi, Aaron. <laughs> we love you. Um, yeah. Previously on Critical Role, uh, basically the, the 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 crew of Vox Machina decided that it was time to stage a rebellion, and in the process of staging a rebellion within the city of Whitestone, Scanlan turned into a Triceratops, and I believe that's enough information for me to open up this uh, summary. Uh huh. So Scanlan the Triceratops slams through a door. Uh, In front of him is a rising staircase leading up to a balcony onto a second floor. There are eight guards on the balcony armed with crossbows, and at the top is Duke Goran Vedmire, a large, hairless, gray-skinned goliath, wielding a two-handed sword and armored with a breastplate. 
Realizing the guards were expecting him and are prepared for a fight, Scanlan immediately turns to the right and charges into a barred door. His horns pierce the wood and the door is damaged and buckles inward, but does not open all the way. He pulls his horns free. Well, at this point, initiative is rolled. Either that or initiative is rolled right before that, but somewhere around this 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 yep. vagary of a thing. Um, as Scanlan begins his work as an air quotes distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not something that you see in a ton of games. A lot of them, everybody always has at least a buddy. Um, and there's the whole golden rule of don't split the party. But sometimes somebody will go off on their own with the idea that they're not, literally all they're trying to do is attract attention and survive. And in D&D, you can sometimes get that done. If you're very creative and careful. Yeah. Yep. Um, as he's slamming into the door, uh, Scanlan takes fire from crossbows as the guards realizes the Triceratops here and start shooting at it. You know, as you do. As um, you do. Vedmir and guards give chase. Scanlan, uh, after bursting through the door, uh, um, after bursting through the door into a dining room, uh, drops his Triceratops form and drop and casts Stinking Cloud, also known as Fart Attack, the spell. Yep. Um, <sighs> Which is a spell that literally just creates an area. It's, it's, it's an area denial uh, spell that basically says, don't go here. You will start puking. Right. Um, and taking Which damage too, but more right. puking than anything else. Mostly, mostly incapacitating. Right. Yep. All but two of the guards have come to the Noxus fumes. Uh, Vedmir is also overcome by the cinch and taking care of uh, this distraction, uh, this distraction within the distraction. We are now two turtles deep in the distraction. Um... <laughs> Uh, Scanlan uh, slides across the dining room table trying to escape. Um, and and what, what then happens is a series of, of comical events as Scanlan attempts to get away, guards attempts to shoot at him, and then after a while he realizes, oh yeah, I've got other means to escape and uses Dimension Door to get out of there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, rather than just relying on... But, but first dives on. under the table with a ridiculously amazing deception, deceptive uh, maneuver so that they think he's under the table when in reality he has dimension doored onto the roof. Yeah, so what we have... Three in turtles this deep room, into distraction now. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're now three turtles deep into distraction. We have the Triceratops distraction to start with. Then we have the stinking cloud. Uh, we have the, the, the stinking cloud distraction in the distraction. And then we've got Scanlan pretending to still be in the room while actually not being in their distraction. Um, all of which culminates in Scanlan piecing the fuck out. <laughs> which as was pretty much do. his job. As you do. Which, you know, as as Vox Machina plans go, this one, solid 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. You know, actually Execution, did... Execution, 8 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Couple of fumbles here and there, but function functioned as intended. Yep. But again, this is on the Vox Machina scale. So on a typical scale, right. that's like a 5 and a... F- <laughs> yeah, like, like compared to com- compared to competently uh, executed and planned things, yes, it's fairly low on the scale. But for Vox Machina plans, it actually went fairly well. Yeah. Oh, we Back, love these characters. The, the dungeon master rolled <laughs> a large number of ones, which it definitely helped the situation significantly. Yes. Um, but, One guard tripped and, over a banister and broke his leg or something. Right. Yeah. And like Vedmeyer ridiculously failed some things that he probably wouldn't have otherwise. Um, but yeah, there's some. And 
and honestly, the, putting the pitting a single individual or even your group of heroes against kind of a hapless opponent can be fantastic in terms of comedic beats and uh, and interesting situations for for a reader or a viewer to to be able to consume. Yep, but scale is not quite done yet. Yep. Uh, because we are about to go to the fourth turtle, um, as Scalin casts invisibility on himself and downs a potion of fire breathing, which he then runs around setting the house on fire. From the roof in the rain, which is a little bit more challenging than it would be otherwise, but um, he does manage to set the house on fire, which draws attention to the roof, which sort of ruins his third turtle of distraction, but then replaces itself. Right. With now things are on fire. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's distraction. It's right. we've gone we we've gone five down but then one back up. Yeah. So, so and, we're still at still at turtle four. Yeah. But turtle um, turtle four is the fifth turtle. He just swapped out. Yeah. That's we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> as it's, as it's the, like tag team wrestling, but for revolutionaries doing diversions. Um as this is happening, uh, Vedmir, being the smart Goliath that he is, uh, climbs to the roof, uh, revealing a rooftop hatch that uh, that allows access to the roof. Scanlan used his now world-famous Bigby's hand to push him off the roof, um, which was very successful, actually. Yep. <laughs> hey, you're on the roof. I don't want you here. Bye. Um, and then moved over to burn the ladder that led up to the roof. So now the guards that were trying to climb up are now falling back down on fire, unable to get up to the roof to stop him. Vedmir's off the roof, presumably taking a good amount of damage from the hand and then the fall. And gen in general, this one small bard has proven that uh, big things do indeed come in small packages. Uh, and And never really underestimate a gnome or a bard, really. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. They, they they might have short legs, but damn can they get shit done and move sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Scanlan uh, invisibil invisibility is out and gets away uh, to watch his handiwork as the mansion is engulfed in flames. And uh, as he does that, he just sort of, you know, sits back and enjoys because now he doesn't have to do anything else for the rest of the people's turn. And while that took me about 10 minutes to describe in episode, it took like an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. But I mean, really good, you know, again, really good distraction. This is, this is the, this is the, um, this is the 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 pull up, pull the pin and throw moment, uh, sort of right. of of this series where you the pull objective the pin on the here, the yeah, the objective here was just to cause as much chaos as possible, and it succeeded. It worked, um, and you know, I I find both both narratively and comedically, uh, I think this 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 section worked fine. I don't think there's much to talk about unless you guys have anything in any like moments that you wanted to pull call out about it. Um, as far as the events in the house go, not terribly. I mean, like it's it puts me in mind of 
kind of like the old Burt Lancaster uh, pirate movies and stuff where it's mm -hmm. just a, a, moder a fairly capable and highly evasive individual running through uh, a fortified area or, or against a mob of enemies who all seem too busy tripping over themselves to actually, because of, of what the, the protagonist is doing, um, which is for the bard archetype, kind of the perfect, perfect fit. You know, it, it definitely, it definitely is in keeping with the sort of vibe of the entire, uh, the entire character class that the Dungeons and Dragons builds for those, those players. Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing that I was gonna, I, I was thinking about talking about for this and probably could have talked about it last week because last week was really the first appearance of it at the very end of the episode. I think as far as strictly critical standpoint, um, as much fun of a sit of a, of a, uh, a moment and an overall scene as this is there's one thing and it's my continuity nerd in me that that bothers that gets bothered by it but dinosaurs in fantasy settings <laughs> how did i know this was coming so it's fine dinosaurs in fantasy one of as i say every week the greatest Dungeons and Dragons setting ever made has dinosaurs as a big part of the setting. I'm talking about Eberron. Yep. Um, really? But you're talking about Greyhawk. No, we, we said the we said the best setting. Yeah, the best setting, and I'm with Jeremy <laughs> on this one. Um, but if you're going to if you're going to Introduce it narratively. Now, is again, this is different from the get, from the show. From the show, we all understand Dungeons and Dragons. It was a well. The rules say I can do this, and these are creatures in the monster manual. So, right. let's go. Uh -huh. But from a narrative standpoint, if you haven't established what is clearly a fantasy setting, in terms dragons and magic and 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 elves and dwarves and all of that you have to establish at some point that dinosaurs are part of this world before you do a major scene that involves one of your core characters turning into one yeah because yeah. otherwise it feels like you just threw that in because you had no other ideas creative yeah, no, I agree with you that, you know, I mean, like, I think for all of us watching it, and given the the background that we have with D&D &D from many years of experience, it didn't feel too shoehorned in. I mean, it was a little jarring, but it's like, no, yeah, those are a thing. They're in the monster manual. You know, we've all we've all run games. So we've all read our monster manuals. We know what sort of things are, are at any given player's disposal if you're going mm -hmm. by by book text but yeah if this was a, a tv show or a film or or even a, a book or something and all of a sudden there's this triceratops moment yeah Trice dinosaurs belong to a certain genre as far as your your significant portion of your uh your your media consuming <coughs> audience is concerned you know mm -hmm. you're not surprised to see dinosaurs jump show up in jurassic park you might not even see be surprised to see dinosaurs show up in some of these sort of retro 
Pulp Fiction, Weird Tales-esque, you know, Conan the Barbarian, Tarzan, those sort of things. If you're steeped enough in the lore to know that, yeah, these, you know, it's, it's the, any, it's, it's a horrible trope because it's steeped in so many problematic aspects, but any sort of great white hunter, uh, you know, uh, yeah, King Solomon's Mines thing, any sort of Jules Verne journey to the center of the earth, sure, dinosaurs, okay. I yeah, mean, we, even, even crazy stuff like dinosaurs showing up in a Marvel show or universe, totally fine because right. it's established within the setting that that's a thing because of the Savage Land. Right, yeah. Or, uh, um, fuck, what is it? Uh, run, runaway? What, what's the one on Hulu? Jeremy? Runaways. Yeah, yeah runaways, runaways. You know, and they talk about the genetic... But, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a... Spoiler, there's a dinosaur in that show. Um, and, and it's yeah, awesome. Right, and it's and it's fantastic, but it's established in uh, in in the episodes that, yes, this is this is a thing, and it's a weird thing, but it's a thing, and it's justified. Yeah. Right. Um, so... <laughs> When when you have something unique like that, um, like for Eberron, for example, yeah, dinosaurs are a thing, but they're fairly regulated to one continent uh, called Zendric, uh, and it's a very sort of jungle adventure, lost world type atmosphere, and that's usually established fairly quickly when when a player character arrives there, so that you're not terribly surprised to okay. see them. Side note, done, one other place. Yes, the Talenta Plains. Half oh, yes, the Talenta Plains as well. Yeah, that's I think there are, because halflings riding dinosaurs is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. I think there are dinosaurs in almost every prime D and D plane or world. Because uh, in in Faerun, they're on Chult. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. which, is also, which is also that you know jungle island of adventure mostly modeled after Australia in certain aspects. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's in Chult. I believe they're in gray or a uh, dark sun because dark sun is all about post-apocalyptic yeah. kind of worlds and they might be in Greyhawk. I am 99% sure they're not in Dragonlance. They're, they're not in Ravenloft either. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because dinosaurs in Ravenloft would be weird as fuck. Well, and Ravenloft <laughs> also isn't necessarily a, 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 a place you would consider on the same level as Faerun and Ebron. Exactly. It's, and it's yeah. a plane. And but to a novice audience member, if you say, this is a fantasy setting, yeah. dragons, yes. Dinosaurs, eh. But the and, reason and, that you don't have dinosaurs in Ravenloft isn't because of the Demi plane. Yeah, that can be the narrative of but the reason is because it's a gothic horror setting and dinosaurs don't work in a gothic horror. <laughs> right. so I would like to see it attempted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see I want to see a T-Rex in a top hat with a monocle and a cyber claw. I mean uh-huh. there is there is a creature in Zendrick. There's a dinosaur in Zendrick who I think would actually work in Ravenloft. He has a giant maw in the center of his chest with tentacles around it and he is the greatest dinosaur that was ever invented. I think yep, at that pretty point much. you're getting into Lovecraftian horror less dinosaur. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. But yeah, um, but but there's there's a what but what we're getting at is there's there's a fairly narrow and distinct section of genre fiction that you expect dinosaurs to show up in yeah and it is jarring when they show up in other things 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to be clear, for those that might be uh, uh, less familiar with the spell, with, with spells and things in, in D&D in particular, oftentimes a GM might rule that you can't turn into a creature you haven't seen. Um, but in this particular case, the spell used polymorph doesn't actually have that restriction in it. So even though there's no narrative reason why a Scanlan might ever have seen a dinosaur, there's actually no mechanical restriction on him turning into one. It's just a, from a narrative perspective, a genre sort of right. a, a genre bleed is happening here. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like when I, when I'm running games, I tend to like to make my players justify their knowledge and abilities to an extent um you know it's it, when a wizard levels up and gets new spells he has to have found and read those spells he doesn't just magically pluck them out of the ether and have them in his spell book although the mechanics allow for that you know as druids and their wild shape forms you know i like to try and at least gently enforce the idea that you can turn into any animal so long as you're familiar with it in person you know it's you have to have done more than seen a woodcut right uh, if you're if you're going to to shift into a to a new animal shape now if you've gone toe-to-toe in combat with something yeah you probably have a decent idea of how it functions and can therefore turn into it because you've got at least a base uh personal knowledge of these sort of things but yeah they're Characters need reference for their knowledge. They they don't knowledge is not something that springs out of nothing. Yeah. For me anyway. Other other people may run their games differently, and those that's totally fine as long as everybody's having fun. So meanwhile, while all this is happening with Scandal, the rest of Vox Machina begins their oh, assault. The on- one thing I wanted to talk about actually is a little sure, bit before this. All right. So as Scanlan's running away, he sees the zombie giant sentry thing. Yes. Um, and all these uh, figures begin uh, attacking the 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 undead uh, uh, symbol, in a sense, of the uh, the Briarwoods' authority and rule and control over the over Whitestone. And that, to me, was one of the best moments in oh, this yes, entire right. game, yes. in in this entire episode of the campaign. Uh, where, you know, so he's, these zombie giants have been referenced before, and we talked about those in, in previous episodes. Um, but I love when a story that's being told has protagonists, but understands that things happen apart from the protagonists. Um, mm-hmm. The world you know, continues this, to exist outside your purview. Right. Um, and I felt like this was an excellent illustration of the fact that while not directly involved, these none of the people that are attacking this giant are people that we know for a fact that Vox Machina has met or even encountered. Certainly they don't know who they are, but because of the actions the, the group has taken, they've inspired this reaction from the, the inhabitants. And it, it, it broadens the scope and I love moments that do that where um, something is happening parallel to, but disconnected from in a sense, the immediate actions of, of the party. Um, And I love when video games do this as well, where, you know, things that, that you do that your player does, especially when it's one where there's a level of choice based in, in the narrative. Uh, I was going to say fable for some reason, but honestly, eh. um, (laughs) <laughs> but you know where where the other inhabitants of this world despite 
only being ones and zeros that have been programmed in by uh, by game designers take what appear to be more or less independent actions that you can then that you can trace back to things that you have done yep. mmos are mmos are big on that um not while while not necessarily as freely a choice as in other games mm-hmm. the at least the illusion of um the 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 narrative uh, implication of your actions having set off these chain of consequences um, i mean the one i was going to mention that i think has probably done it best although it's still not perfect and i haven't played the second one but state of decay yeah, yeah. does it really yeah. really well where yeah. everything that you do impacts what happens around you and like when your character dies when or when you don't get to play that character anymore. You play a new character within the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's one that I thought has always done it for from me. A, for, from a narrative perspective, at least, the one that, that pumps to mind for me, at least in this scene, is um, is actually Final Fantasy XIV, which I've been playing a lot lately. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the most recent expansion, Stormblood, you actually lead sort of a revolution against uh, an, uh, an, uh, uh, an occupying force. And... Uh, as you go through quest chain after quest chain, you unlock dungeons and, and then you do the dungeons to continue the quests. And in a couple of different dungeons, when you're sort of ousting this occupying force, there are lots of non-interactable NPCs in the background that are just fighting. Um, and, and like as you progress, they progress too. And uh-huh. so as, as you beat the boss and continue on to the next section, you see that your allied forces in the background have beaten their enemies as well and are sort of cheering you on and, you know, calling out your name and the name of your allies as you, as you continue on. It's a really neat narrative uh, construction, not necessarily something that you personally have done, although the triggers for these things are tied to you succeeding. Uh-huh. Um, but it's the, it's that sort of idea of there is a whole battle happening around us, and it's not just what we're doing. What we're doing has an effect, but there's more going on. Yeah, and, and anything I, that that makes your protagonist a small part of a larger whole, I think, does great in giving your setting and your and your your narrative depth. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter how big of a small part you are. Like mm-hmm. again, with Final Fantasy fourteen, you're you're a major influence, but you're still only one person in relation to these dozens or hundreds of other people that you see fighting. Yeah. Um, but yes, that is that's actually a very good thing to point out. Yes, as Scanlan as Scan, you know escapes, he does see that Whitestone residents are have armed themselves and are fighting this uh, undead giant. The rest of Vox Machina has begun their assault on Count Tyleri's mansion, uh, with Grog and Trinket rushing the front door. Grog being the first one in, being the uh, the group battering ram, as he is. Uh, likewise to Scanlan's Triceratops makes short work of the door in front of him, and then immediately receives a chorus of crossbow bolts in, re- in reply. Um, the crossbow bolts uh, sticking into Grog, giving him plenty of fuel for his rage. Uh, and... It's it's one of those really lovely moments of um, that you get in in ensemble storytelling when the big guy has just been hit by something, and then just grins in response. It's very much that uh, Avengers Hulk looking back to camera grinning moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, that that sort of signals the beginning of shit going down. 
Um, yep. Percy, so uh, Grog and Trickett are going in the front, um, uh, while Percy, Vex, Vax, and Keyleth are going in the back. Grog and Trickett uh, uh, attracting the attention of the front quite easily. Um, uh, Percy and uh, Percy uh, getting to the back door, finding it locked and unable to do anything about it, followed immediately by Vax, who unlocks it. And, and swiftly, uh, swiftly, the group gets into the fray. Um, in the in the front, we have a bit of a uh, supervillain monologue moment. It's not really a monologue; it's two lines. Uh, as Count Tyler sort of takes his moment to look at Grog and uh, assume that there would have been, the actual line is interesting. I figured there'd be more of you. To which Grog responds with a, a interesting. There's a lot of dead men up there, uh, which is our which Grog gets his Rambo moment, which I think is a is something that's something that is is not narratively not always talked about but or or, or at least talked upon uh the the heroic one-liner um, yeah from yeah. a narr- from a narrative perspective it might be a bit overplayed uh this is the sort of this is the thing that uh, any action movie there's always a there are always like three moments in every action movie where an explosion happens and the protagonist is walking away from it um Somebody says a response, and the 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 protagonist has a quippy one-liner that is that returns, followed by a gunshot or some other offensive capability. Um, and at some point, there will be a rope, and it will be swung on. Those are sort of the three uh, the the three hallmark moments of an action scene. Um, and in most settings, I find it's a bit overplayed, but in D and D. I think that's probably where it finds its purpose. It's sort of it's sort of like the, the best use of it because it's now it's not just a character on screen who has previously proven themselves to be so and so badass mm-hmm. now making a one-liner. It's you the player getting a chance to to sort of have that moment yourself. Um I don't know if the two of you have particularly strong feelings on adventure tropes, but yeah, no, like it, it's always fantastic. And that probably is why tabletop RPGs are pretty much one of my absolute favorite forms of entertainment. Um, is that it allows you to, it allows you to take part in and engage in the sort of things that you enjoy in other media. Mm-hmm. You get to become the protagonist of the story, you know, I mean, the vast majority of us, uh, because the real world generally doesn't work the way fiction does. Um, art imitates, but does not recreate life. Uh, we're not going to have a ton of these moments. The reason I play video games, the reason I like watching television, the reason I like reading anything generally, and by far the reason I like playing tabletop is because it gives me a level of much needed escapism um and being able to personify some of my favorite tropes or being able to subvert some of my favorite tropes and 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 actually take the the active uh initiative in engaging with 
a storyline that has these classic rises and and fall falling actions and and things like that is is a huge part of of the entire draw for me and then being able to do that alongside not just by myself but alongside other people uh who are communally participating in in the entire experience forgive my abstract ramble rambling is is pretty much what it's all about for me mm-hmm. no. sorry right. um well i mean i'm all about good tropes um i what i've as i i've expressed before the term trope or or gets thrown around and a lot of times in a negative context and to me it's all about how it's used mm-hmm. um i some of some of the best action films or action series or 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 stories period out there are you can tick off the moments as they come by what's ha- what's likely to happen and that's fine because they're done effectively yeah um i think that you know this is obviously examples where it works is is a lot of the stuff that happens in critical role but yeah in the reason those things work and the reason that the that that they're or the reason that they're used so often is because these are moments that are legitimately exciting or inspiring so there's a very good reason why they work this well in in tabletop role-playing games um i don't think and this isn't obviously isn't a slam on on anybody i don't think that there are many people who don't at least somewhat base the vast majority of their characters on somebody they've seen in popular media or um uh not necessarily a character specifically but a style that they've seen something like, because that's where a lot of our narrative influence comes from at this point um so so those kinds of moments come part and parcel with uh those characters um you know you you base a character on of uh well you base a character on a uh, a short character you're going to be spouting off one-liners left and right because that's what he does uh-huh. Um, you base a character off of, uh, 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 Doctor Who. You're going to be trying to come up with creative ways to solve problems and, and, techno and getting babble. spacey. Yes. And using lots and lots of techno babble. Um, so I think. A lot of people might view that as really derivative. It's one of those things that I really enjoy and think is a strength of of that kind of this kind of interactive story. Yeah, that's actually uh, the question of like there are there are lots of things that 
whether you like them or not, get used a lot in film and television that just seem to have more effectiveness, at least for the participants and in, in the case of like Critical Role for the audience, um, in a tabletop setting. I'm curious why you think that is. Like, like uh, for instance, Grog doing the one-liner. There, there are certainly there are TVs and movie, TV, television series and movies where one-liners like that work, and then there are other ones where it just falls flat because of various things. I'm, I'm wondering what you think is the reason they tend to work more or tend to be more appreciated or exciting in in a tabletop setting. I mean, it's all about execution. That's that's the sole reason. Um. If if something is, and you know, that's one of the reasons. No matter if this, if Critical Role, you know, being being done in Dragons, being voice actors, if these, if if this cast and and that's part of the cast, but 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 Matt weren't able to make the execution of this stuff work. It it wouldn't be something we'd be engaged in. So I don't think it's the format necessarily. I think it's just that they execute it well. Um, that's why something that, uh, like, I keep thinking of the Fast and the Furious films because something that, there are films that completely disregard the laws of physics that don't work because they're executed poorly. And then there's the Fast and Furious films, which do it effectively, and and that's why those are a lot more fun. I think the same applies in a, in a Dungeons & Dragons setting or a World of Darkness setting, or whatever the case may be. Um, if you've done a good job establishing your setting and you've done a good job, and, and the characters are engaged, etc., it doesn't matter that it's a, that it's a role playing game. It's it's simply that they have done a good job with it. Yeah, uh, Jack. Um, I I agree with the uh, the entire setup as far as as far as that goes. Um, execution is key, and even if we're talking about Critical Role, where all of these people have plenty of acting experience under their belts so they're much better at this sort of portrayal of characters than your average you know uh game store player might be even they occasionally have moments where the one-liner falls flat yep you know and and I would say I from from sort of a it. if if you're looking at this from more of like a, a director's standpoint, for for a one liner to come off well, it has to be succinct, it has to be clear, it has to have a good position, you know. So you you've got a statement that is being made, should have some bite to it, and it has to be it has to be the last nail in the coffin. Um, a lot of times when around a around a, a a tabletop game that I've seen one-liners fall flat is when somebody delivers a one-liner, but for whatever reason, the scene or the moment doesn't end there. And then something else happens or somebody else says something else or somebody tries to one-up it, you know, and then it just kind of 
all everybody just trips down the stairs together uh and you you stumble into a pile at the bottom wondering what the fuck just happened more or less <laughs> uh and it's it's not terribly impressive you know and those right. sort of elements have happened occasionally uh even in this game uh even in even in critical role but when it's well executed um and it doesn't ramble and you know exactly what's being said and from from the audience perspective you're on the side um because because for in my opinion a good one liner also has to have a it, it's hard to have like an absurdist one liner it has to be something that you can agree with even if you don't necessarily agree with the individual because villains often despite having a point of view and having a, a set of motivations that are supposed to be opposed to what the audience actually wants to see accomplished and see happen they have some great one-liners yep but those one-liners always make sense for that character cancel christmas right exactly um you know and <laughs> whenever i talk about villain one-liners i immediately go to the um the uh, street fighter uh, the Street Fighter and Bison line. Uh, Why bison? would you go to that? <laughs> the, day, the day Bison graced your village was the worst day of your life. For me, it was a Tuesday. The Why would you the go best to that? What, <laughs> what kind of monster are you? The best guy. God damn, man. Uh, no. <laughs> So, uh, so just so everybody knows, John is wrong. John um, is wrong. <laughs> you cannot Christmas. Raul Julia's performance is the best thing in that movie. <laughs> okay, yes, but <laughs> that's like saying this on 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 concrete is the best thing about stepping in dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, though I, I will point out, um, even though, even, even, even when uh, one-liners tend to fumble, like you, like you said, Jack, and in in critical role especially, um, even when those occurrences happen, I do find that they still tend to have a more positive reaction, yeah, than they than they do in films and other media. Well, and I think the the reason for that is because of the reaction of the people around like okay i'm going to use the classic example in critical role which is life needs things to live um has that happened yet no no <laughs> just a <laughs> it's a spoiler of five <laughs> words put together it's a forward-facing classic example so we're saying yes yes but uh, not discussing anything that happens around it or why. When something like that falls flat in a in in a a, a non-interactive narrative way, it's because it's intended to come off as serious or badass or 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 whatever, and so the way the writer sets it up is that everybody treats it that way. In an interactive thing, it's one person saying something. So when the rest of the, when the, rest of the players are like, what? And laugh, and then you just go with it. It's, it's funny. And the cast, you can laugh with them instead of laughing at them like you do when <coughs> uh, Sharknado 
or something. Although the, the Sharknado films are are made to be laughed at, so it's probably not the best example. But uh, Street Fighter, <laughs> actually, literally everything from the Asylum. <laughs> Street Fighter or Dragon Ball Evolution, which are meant to be serious action films. Yes, with their humor <laughs> in them, but they are meant to be serious. At, or X Men. You know what happens when a toe gets struck by lightning. The same thing that happens to everything else. Right. Um, that was, although there's an interesting, the, that was all about Halle Berry's t- terrible delivery of it because that line was supposed to, the last part of that was supposed to be matter-of-factly and not read in storm dramatic style. Right. That was Joss Whedon's intention. Anyway, but... Those things we laugh at. Something like this, when the rest of the cast is around is laughing, we're laughing with. That's why it works better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the other thing is that most one-liners that you think of are good the first time you hear them. Yep. Or are good if you hear them without any preconceptions or or further experience. But the thing about a one-liner is that it it gets into the media uh, going public's zeitgeist. It gets parodied, it gets quoted, it gets lampooned, it gets misquoted, and then evolves into just this, you know, oh, well, everybody's heard that a thousand times, so when you see it in the movie, you're, everybody just groans and moves on to the next scene. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, how many... <laughs> The first, if if you've never seen The Shining, the first time you hear, here's Johnny... It's fucking terrifying. Yep. But most people, even going to see the movie for the first time, have seen that parodied so or referenced so many other times that, as far as they know, it might not even be the original. It's just another, oh, somebody's sticking their head through a crack in a door and yelling, here's somebody. Yeah, you know, also, that's... when your name is John, you hear it a lot. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. That's you know. that's uh, uh, John Carter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and and the fact of the matter is, you know, and and certain certain one-liners age and and take the the abuse better than others. You know, I mean, you still sound a little, a tiny little bit badass when you go yippee ki yay, motherfucker. Um, right. Be- Only if know. it's immediately preceded by an action, though. You can't just yell it right. out loud for no reason. Right, yeah, right. But, you know, but you you can still execute that one and, and you know, get, get the occasional, like, get the occasional nod of agreement, um, you know, but, but there's other ones where it's just like, this has been done so many ways, so many times that it has lost all of its punch. Um, so I think that's part of the reason as well why one-liners in movies tend to get shit on a little more than they do in 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 rpgs because most of the time when you're playing a tabletop as well your one-liner tends to be a little more on the original side yeah well and i think what yeah i I also think when you're sitting around a table your fellow players understand that you're going to be a little bit more derivative about these kinds of things Mm -hmm. because they're coming off the, the they're they're coming right off the top of your head you're not well assumedly you're not taking a lot of time to unless you've had warning that something's coming you're not taking a lot of time to plot something out and come up with something to say 
Mm-hmm. So there, there, there's definitely a sense of, of, of being more free. I don't know what you're talking about. I always write down all of my one-liners before I ever say them. I have a list that I pull from. That Frankly, was... John, I don't give a damn. <laughs> now, you may, the, the viewer or the listener out there may be wondering why we've taken this long to talk about one-liners. And the reason is because the next hour and a half of the show is nothing but a fight. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. which, it's a good fight, but there's not... The I think the, it's a it's a it's a pretty good fight, but the most spectacular things that happen in it are, uh, I believe I don't know if we had it confirmed previously that Count Tyleri was a vampire, but we learned con- conclusively that Count Tyleri is a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, in that after he is taken down, he turns into mist. Um, and they mm-hmm. use a creative use of spells via wind wall keeps him trapped so he can't get away. Mm-hmm. Um. Before they sunbeam him to death. Uh, before before he gets sunbeamed into permanent death. Um, and uh, Grog just beating the shit out of guards and Tyleri with a Warhammer. Uh-huh. And, and, and I think that's most of the... Uh, I think uh, Vex using a lightning arrow to take out a grip of fleeing guards as well. And I think that's most of the fight is fairly standard Vox Machina... Pile in, punch till dead. The the yeah. the finishing though, there's 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 definite elements of of ruthlessness in the group that we haven't really seen um, up until this time done for real. Like you know, when 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 Tiberius buzzsaws a, a geriatric unconscious person, there's a level of horror in the other players' faces when they realize right. what, what's just been done, you know. And there was that 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 element of of uh, the the previous episode with Percy killing um, <clears throat> Sir Carrion, uh, and you know the sort of here. There's a lot of just cold blooded kind of the individual in question was incapacitated, helpless. So yeah, yielding, me, trying to give quarter or whatever, and they're like, and dead. Yeah, let me let me let me go through the list. Uh, after the after the fight pretty much wraps up, there are five guards left who try to run. Mm-hmm. Um, all five of them uh, sort of leap from a balcony, trying to get out of the building and run away. Three of them land fine and rush for the door, and uh, uh, two of them land hard. One breaks his ankle, um, and the other hits the ground un- and, and falls unconscious from the damage. Um. Uh, as the and as they go out, Trinket claws at one of them. Uh, Grog um leaps over the banister and finishes off the two that had fallen. No, um, almost finishes off the two. Finishes off one of them and then literally smashes the other one's knee so hard that part of the leg comes off. Yeah, not yeah. dead. But... That's right. That's right. He didn't kill him. Right. Uh, the one that was unconscious, he just crushes into the ground like a watermelon. Right. And then mm-hmm. busts off the leg of the other. Vex uh, uh, shoots at the three that uh, that were leaving um, with uh, a lightning arrow that electrocutes mm-hmm. one of them in the rain. The other two manage to get away. Vax shouts out, "No survivors!" Um, and so she uh, hits another one with an arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then intimidates the uh, the third one into stopping, and then intimidates the third one into getting back inside. Which, which at this point, I'd say, okay, we're still in the the sort of rules of combat level of appropriateness. Yes, if these guys get away and raise the alarm or anything, that could 
have very bad consequences for the group, not letting people get out and, and you know, ring, ring the bells to, to call backup is a tactically justifiable decision, I would say. Mm-hmm. Then, then Caleb moves but around then... and vaporizes <laughs> the guy who is coming back into the building. Right. The guy's standing the in the middle of the street, like hands up, stopped, like Vax command or Vex commanded. And yeah, Keila kind of <laughs> leans out and is like, oh, and just sort of sunbeam lasers him to death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, was there was there I don't recall there being a was this just that Keyleth slash Marisha wasn't paying attention? attention to what had previously been stated or was there another reason by his, I can't remember. It's a little difficult to tell. I mean, I, it should be pointed out there was very specifically said no survivors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because of that, there was that character, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that NPC is no longer a survivor. So That's, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, but there was a, there's a moment of confusion here, and I'm trying to. Yeah. I, I, I don't quite recall what caused it, uh, other than Vax saying no survivors, and then Vex trying to have a survivor to interrogate, and then Keyleth putting that to a stop. Right. And I don't recall which line got crossed where, but there was some confusion here, mm-hmm. in the in the and which which you know, very which sort of narratively shows the. Uh, at times, lack of cohesion this group can have. Yeah. Um, where there's, uh-huh. you know, sort of three different people are going in three different directions, and two of them are kind of converging, and one of them is not. Yep. Um, yeah. At this point, and, and, being and Vex then, trying to have a thing, and then Vax and Keyleth trying to right. have no survivors. And then the guy inside, who is shy part of a leg, gets some interrogation, is answering, yep. is is cooperating, is answering the questions, um, and then Vax specifically asks him about the corpses of the sun tree, which if you remember back involved, they definitely murdered a child to represent Scanlan. Um, and while it's not necessarily j- stated, at least clearly, that this particular guard uh, was involved in that, Vax makes the call that he is at least culpable of murdering a child and just uh just slits his throat sl- slits yep. his throat with with very little preamble um and throughout throughout it all uh Percy has the black smoke trailing out of him again right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and and so it's a, it's a very interesting shift to see um and whether it was done intentionally or not it's great to see the sort of thematic nature of their their pursuit of revolution in this city going down a more extremist darker path yep. i think you can you can you can justifiably say um and this is this is the idea that there are there are very few saints in in revolution um is is one of my one of my favorite uh narrative archetypes that if you want to change things you have to get your hands dirty um which is which is not the most optimistic but definitely has i i like a good dark gritty rebellion (laughs) right well and i think this works as well you know we've talked about you know of, of course the uh uh the buzzsaw incident is 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 
Simpson, but we've talked about other times where the 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 characters have gotten surprisingly vicious and it doesn't work. This is one of those examples where it works really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of reasons for um, For one, uh, uh, Percy has been sort of a preamble for the group to uh, thematically of leading this, you know, things going down a darker path. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the other... Uh, Mercer did a, if you're going to send characters down this path, you have to have, um, you have to, you have to give your audience a reason to still cheer for them. This is Game of Thrones uh, syndrome. Yeah. Um, Where if you're going to have, you know, Arya turn into a little psycho assassin, and you're going to have Sansa become sort of manipulative political type and and uh, all just about every character have a shade of gray. You need to have a moral baseline mm-hmm. that is just jet black. You need to have a Joffrey. And then once he's gone, you need to have a, uh, uh, a Ramsey Snow, mm-hmm. Ramsey Bolton. And yeah. then so on and so forth going there. Yeah. Mercer does a wonderful job in having built up the situation at this point and escalated the evil to the point that, you know what? We can kind of buy and we can kind of sympathize with them vaporizing people and smashing their legs off and and slitting throats. Because these guards are, will, you know, willing, not willing. We don't know. We'll never know their life story. But servants of characters who are up to this point, pretty much the ultimate evil in this world, as far as we know. Um, yep, yep. Uh-huh. And so, and that makes it work. And then, of course, there's also, like I said, sort of that moral questionableness that this the the heroes have already been going down at this point um yeah because it's it's much easier to justify unceremoniously slitting someone's throat if you can at least in the audience mind connect them to the murder of a child yep you know whereas i think for for the sort of jarring shock value, Keyleth just laser beaming a, a guy who's standing with his hands up in the middle of the street feels worse, even though it's more or less probably about the same thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's be honest, that was that was probably the most humane death levied that day by Vox Machina. Oh yeah, no, because the guy's standing there and then he's Ash, and that's all that... You know, it's just, you know. So, uh, the group loot the house, uh, finding 230 gold pieces and the coffin that Tyleri uh, possessed, which was subsequently smashed, and then leave it on fire quite effectively. Um, which takes them to the break, and as they head back towards the alcove to recover and rest and collect Scanlan. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. 
they dart back through the street using the dust of chancelessness to hide their uh, to hide themselves to hide their tracks. Head to the alcove and call out for Jordana, uh, who uh, who asks who they are, and then Vex identifies herself as the crazy grandma, uh, which let her let them in. Um, they're not under the seeming illusion anymore, so they have to re-explain who they are now that they no longer look like the crazy people that they previously looked like. Uh-huh. Um, and they have a they have a bit of time to sort of debate what they should do next, whether it should be resting, heading straight to the Briarwoods Castle, what's going on. Um, they reconvene and sort of uh, reorganize their information as they have it currently, which is primarily that the Briarwoods live in the castle. They didn't really learn much beyond that um, from the interrogation. Uh, they they learned that they had heard, they had received information that there was to be a rebellion. They were prepared for the rebellion, and then the Briarwoods are in the castle. Yep. Uh, also, that uh, in order to stop this insurrection, they were instructed to gather up certain people based on descriptions and hang them from the sun tree as a warning, um, which prompted Vex uh, Vax to slit the guy's throat because he killed a kid, hung a kid as a warning. Um. Eventually, Vox Market decides to take a short rest to tend their wounds and then head out to join the, the, the rebels in taking out the zombie giants. Um, Scanlan sings, uh, uses his ability to give them additional hit points uh, using his song of rest. And as they are finished wrestling, they hear the sa- as they finish wrestling, resting, resting, my words are getting tangled. <laughs> um, as they, uh, as they um, finish resting, they hear the sound of a zombie giant. Out. They hear the sound of heavy footballs nearby, alone moaning something, alone moaning something heavy in the ground, and then cheers. Uh, they look out to find that the body of a giant about six, uh, the body of one of the zombie giants about six feet away, with three people in the process of hacking its head off just to make sure it's dead. So we get the sense that this rebellion is well and truly uh, underway at this point. Yep. Um, the storm is still going on. Uh, that I, I believe the storm came in naturally. I don't think Keyleth called it. Um, though Kiel did make use of it uh, using Skyrite to trace the Dorello symbol in the sky. Um, um, uh, Scalen remembers that Desmond, the Briarwood's care driver, had told him that Tyleri was hanged from the sun tree by Silas Briarwood. Uh, Scalen suspects that the sun tree is where the vampires are spawning from. Kiel counters at the man in the bar uh, that Vax and Scalen said had uh, people who die in Wisdom don't stay dead, and she suspects that the entire land is cursed, which Grog agrees with. Either way, they head for the sun tree, searching for giants on their way there. Uh, as they head through the town, the chaos seems to have died off. Uh, they come across another felled zombie giant, surrounded by eight civilian corpses, two of which are torn in half, one appearing to be half-eaten and the rest smashed. They make their way to the town square where the sun tree is located, and across the square is, a, is another zombie giant riddled with spears and javelins and struggling with a group of civilians. Looking at the tree, Keyleth sees eight, corpse, eight ropes dangling free with no bodies hanging from them. Apparently, the bodies have been removed. In some fashion. Uh-huh. Um, Vex moves closer and sees the ropes have been cut and that there are actually numerous ropes all over the tree some old and weathered, some torn, some cut uh, the battle still rages across the square as the party uh, looks back the way they came and sees a large group of figures through the rain as the sun sets and the figures approach it becomes clear there's a group of about 30 to 50 armored skeletons marching in from the north Keyleth climbs up the sun tree to get a better look. Scanlan blows his horn of fog, filling the air with heavy fog that obscures everything the zombie giant uh, smashes into the last person that was attacking it um uh, uh, which uh, uh, sort of off in the distance, and Keyleth almost falls out of the tree. Though Vex, uh, though Vex climbs up after her and helps her back up. 
um, from the top of the tree, they can see that there is actually closer to about 100 skeletons marching on the group. Um, uh, Keyleth uh, starts to conjure an ice storm uh, 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 at the skeletons, which blows apart a fair number of them but uh, and causes the icy, but the group as a whole continues mining forward. This sheer mass of skeletons too much for, for just one uh, spell, at least, to, to deal with. Uh-huh. Um, or at least that spell. There are other spells that probably could have dealt with it more effectively, but they've only had a short rest, so... <clears throat> Um, they at this point they pretty much determined that it's time to head out because it's about to get really dangerous here. Um, and they take off from the town square, heading to heading for the tree line in the west, um, looking to actually get out of the uh, the town. Um, they have to fight off one of the zombie giants as they go, although they manage to kill it uh, fairly quickly. Um. And upon leaving the area, they look over to see that the skeleton army is pouring into the streets, seeking to put down any sign of rebellion that remains. And that's where the episode ends. So we've gotten we've sort of gotten this rebellion kicked off right, and then immediately had it quelled by the superior forces of mm-hmm. Briar Woods. Although still did good in getting Tyler out of the picture, and I don't think. Um, no, uh, the the Goliath wasn't actually dealt with, but he was certainly embarrassed at the very least. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, part one of Gunpowder Plot finished. Part two will be next week. Um, that was Nigeria. all of Gunpowder. That plot. was that was all of Gunpowder. Plot. No, no, there. Uh, I think. No, yeah, that was all of Gunpowder Plot. Yep. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. The 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 on 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 YouTube. The episode is split in two. Yeah, the episode right. is split in two. That's yeah. why. If you, if you watch it on YouTube, it's two videos. But yes, that's why I had part one stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, no, next episode uh, is against the side bone. bone. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see what happens with this army of skeletons. Uh-huh. Uh, any, any any last things of note that either one of you want to point out before we end this episode? Not particularly. Fights. So many fights. So All the fights. fights. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> it was a fight-heavy episode. Yes, it was a very action-heavy episode, which is something that you obviously you need not, uh, a storyline like this. You need that. Mm-hmm. that... Yeah, because this is, this is an action-based rebellion slash revolution. Yeah. It's not a diplomacy-based. <laughs> right, right. Right. <laughs> They're they're not going to be uh, electing a parliament and yeah. sitting down with the the Briarwoods to discuss the peaceful transition of power to to a democracy. You know, this is very Game of Thrones, not very House of Cards. Right, correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, lots lots. And, and, and as as we say every time, there's a fight heavy episode. There's there is an amount of narrative. There is there is an amount of narrative to be had in fights in in, yes. in combat scenes in. And so in, if you're writing your if you're writing stories or you're writing a script or thing, don't shy away from that. Don't shy away from telling the story in that combat. But there's only so much that we can talk about without repeating ourselves over and over again. <laughs> Do you hear us, Mercer? No, um, he doesn't. He does not listen no, he to this. Doesn't because no, he does not exactly. He does if not he does listen to this, hi Matt, big fan. But <laughs> he doesn't. Um uh, uh, on the off chance that he might, who knows? Yeah, he might be. He might be sitting at home, going, "God damn it, these guys, these these people, tearing <laughs> apart my dreams." 
deconstructing I mean, what I worked so hard you, to create. If you want to listen to that, all he has to do, if you want people tearing apart his dreams, all he has to do is go to Twitter. Or Reddit. Or Twitch. Twitch chat. Twitch chat. Twitch chat is no, great. For no one should ever go to Twitch chat. What are you talking about? <laughs> no. Ever. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. For Twitch anything. Chat. Twitch chat is a barren wasteland. <laughs> Twitch chat is... No, no. Twitch chat is worse than the barons. Twitch chat is... No, Twitch chat is where Mad Max takes place. <laughs> <laughs> You just see in the in the giant dust storm. You just see a single Kappa face go by. Twitch, oh god, what a lovely day! <laughs> Twitch, Twitch chat makes the barons look like fucking. Uh, I don't even know because I can't. I was gonna say like I think, I think we need to like, save ourselves from this rabbit hole. Depth debate. We to, yeah, we we need to we, we need to we, we need to Sputter. not. First Sputter, of all, Sputter. WoW references are tired in the first place. Second of all, <laughs> I, I reject that premise. <laughs> it is an 18 year old. No, it's a, it's a 2005. It's a or 2004. It's a it's a 14 year old game. Year yes. old game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Star Thanks Wars references are still relevant, so, and not just because they keep making them. Um. I know. I mean, if we're going for the oldest reference in this, uh, that doesn't in this work episode, without. The... I think. I think the fact that I referenced the fucking Gone with the Wind from 1939 right. is currently winning. But you know, also, <laughs> I know doesn't work without the corresponding line. I mean, no, it doesn't. That's why I used. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we're done. Welcome, okay. welcome to critical thinking after dark. the after show we go right into the after show all right an epic wow say goodbye everybody goodbye everybody (laughs) goodbye